0: Welcome to Mosaic Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening.
1: Cheers. Thank you. Happy to you, mate. Um, Can I add my belated Easter uh, well wishes to you guys? Hope you've had a great holiday or are having one. I appreciate that for various unis and school term, that it's all a little bit mixed. I'm going to pray and then we're going to dive right into it. So let's begin by praying together. Oh Jesus, you are amazing and we've already sung about how great you are and what you've done for us. And I pray, Jesus, that you would just really move by your spirit in this place. Mm. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would just make these words alive and that you would touch the hearts and lives of each and every person here. Lord, you are just so relevant to our lives, and I pray that you would just just give us a real fresh hearing of who you are Mm. and what you have done for us. Amen. So I'd like to start, guys, with a question. And that question is, when was the last time you were shocked? I mean, really shocked. Not eyebrow-raised kind of surprise, but I mean really, really shocked. Kind of shocked enough that it actually affects you and it affects your emotions. So it actually stirs you to feel something. and uh, Maybe it's uh, shocked enough that it actually changes your actions, how you actually respond in that situation when was the last time you were shocked in that way? I'll be honest, I'm not often shocked in that way. And I guess there are a number of reasons why that's the case. Firstly, I think it because sometimes, you know, I can be a little bit, how best to put it, I guess I can be a little bit familiar with things. So, for example, if we take the news, for example, we see some horrific stuff, right? We can get absolutely broken by what we see, but when you've read the news for a few days, it can start to become a bit commonplace. And I know it's wrong, but it starts to wash over me a little bit too familiar. You know what I mean? Or mm. well, maybe, maybe we get a bit distracted. Again, using the news as the example, well, there's always something else to watch or to read, isn't there? And rather than actually dwell on what it is that I've seen, and for it actually to stir the response it should well, it's just so easy for me to just, well, forget about it and move on to the next thing. And there's a real danger in that. And the real danger is that actually, that means that I don't actually respond as I should. I don't respond as I should, and it doesn't affect me in the way that it should. Now, I start with this because actually, that's the case for me when I read the Bible too. You know, I struggle in the same kind of way. I start to feel a little bit blasé to it sometimes it doesn't shock me as it should do i wonder is is, is that something that other people have found maybe a few nods out there you know often the bible can have lost its shock factor and again i think there are numerous reasons why this is the case firstly again familiarity if we've been around church for any length of time then maybe we know the story they're probably pretty familiar to us And therefore we're like, yeah, yeah, I've heard that before and it just washes over us. Or secondly, again, you know, we can also get distracted rather than kind of think about what we've read. Well, we've got busy lives, we've got busy work and social schedules, we've got iPads, smartphones and before we know it, rather than actually thinking and dwelling on what it is we've read, well, we're on to the next thing. I guess there's a third reason as well and that is that there's a kind of historical and cultural element to it. You see, the Bible was written in a different historical and time period to us and a different culture. And sometimes things that would be shocking then, we kind of miss them because they're perhaps not shocking now. So sometimes we kind of miss out on things because <coughs> they're a little bit different. They're a, it's a different culture, so we miss out that way. Well, what I want to do tonight to kind of change that and go back to being shocked because there's a real danger when we don't get shocked it means that we don't let god's word impact us as it should do it means that actually we don't let god's word shape and affect our lives as perhaps it ought and it means that our view of god can become a little bit more limited we 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 see a little bit less of how great he is so today's passage, we're going to have a great look at being shot together, okay? We're going to look shock after shock, and it's not only one of my favourite passages, but I think it's one of the most shocking ever. So I'm going to invite Mike Vo up, and he's going to read to us. Um, so why don't you welcome him up, and then we'll go through it. Have you got the?
0: Okay. For those of you who've got Bibles, uh, working at Mark 2. Um, so if you want to follow along, or it should be on the screen. Okay. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and, after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralysed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat and walk. But that you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, Get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, We have never seen anything like this.
1: Great, thanks for that, Mike. Okay, so what we're going to do is go through this shock after shock. First 1 to 3, the scene is set. Jesus is preaching in a place called Capernaum, and the place is packed out. There's no way into where Jesus is preaching. It's standing room only. And then we get these four friends who come along, and they're carrying the, their friend who is uh, paralytic. That means that he's paralysed, he can't walk. And when they get to the house, they realise that they can't get to Jesus by conventional means. So they go up onto the roof, make a hole in the roof, and lower their friend on the mat down through to Jesus. Now, I've just read that out to you. It's been read before. And you know what? There were no gaps or cries or gosh or anything like that from you guys. You kind of just thought, well, tap there a wee bit. But let me tell you, if that happened in real life... Well, it was real life. if that happened now, I should say. Sorry, heresy alert one, Rich. We'll chat about that after. Uh, But like, if that happened here today, then actually you wouldn't be sitting there listening wrapped with attention. You wouldn't be sitting there at all. I mean, if there was a bit of a trickle of uh, dust and then bits of plaster and mortar started to fall and then maybe there was an opening and we saw daylight and then someone was lowered down, you would not be sitting there. There would be an uproar. In fact, everyone would be on their feet. They'd be asking questions. What's Rich going to say about how this uh, gathering's been interrupted? What's Nick going to do about his preach being kind of gate-crashed? And you know what? If it's your friend's house or your house, you're going to be outraged. Who's footing the bill? How is this going to be sorted? You're not just going to sit there. And you know what? Back then, it was exactly the same. It was equally an outrageous act. It was just as shocking then. That's not what people did. This is an outrageous act. But you know what? It's in this outrageous act that we see our first application. And that is that these guys were desperate to get their paralytic friend to Jesus. They were desperate, they would go to any length to get Jesus. To see their friend. Nothing, not even a roof, not even a packed room was going to stop them from getting their friend meeting Jesus. Now I'm not suggesting that vandalism is good, but it does bring us to the point. Whether you're a Christian here today or not, the challenge is the same. To be desperate to meet Jesus and be willing to go to extreme lengths to do so. You know, as a child I loved watching my football team, Blackburn Rovers, play Nowadays, uh, it's a bit more of a duty than a pleasure, but back then I absolutely loved it. And I can remember match days. They were completely different. First of all, there'd be no lying in on those weekends. I'd be up, ready to go in full kit by 9 a.m., even though it is a three o'clock kickoff. And I'd also be spending the morning on teletech, te- checking if the game was going to be still on. The kickoff time hadn't changed. The weather was okay. We weren't going to have to, uh, yeah, make any kind of uh, extra travel plans. And I would wanted to have eaten lunch. Teletech. Does anyone remember that? (laughs) Yes, people do, actually. Yeah, teletech. Maybe it's just you, Rich. Um, No. So so I'd want to have had lunch by 11 o'clock. Not only that, uh, I'd be going to my dad every half hour, just reminding him of the time, just so he knew... ...that we weren't caught out unawares. Uh, Looking back, I was a nightmare, actually, when it came to these things... ...because I'd want to be there in time to see them actually warm up as well... ...which is an hour and a half before the game kicked off. And the one thing you could say, other than that I was a bit of a pain for my dad... ...was that actually, there was no doubting. I was desperate to see Blackburn play. And when I think back on those memories... ...it made me actually start to question, am I that desperate... To see Jesus too. And are you? You see, the application from these guys is that we should be desperate to meet with Jesus. And it won't look like vandalism and it probably won't look like making your dad's life difficult either. But it probably will involve you being sacrificial. Maybe it means being sacrificial with your time. You know, maybe giving uh, up uh, a bit of an evening, uh, maybe on a Sunday or in midweek to come on, come along and find out all about who this Jesus person is. Maybe if you're a Christian here today, maybe that means getting up half an hour earlier so you can meet with Jesus in prayer and worship and, and reading your Bible. Maybe there's a sacrifice in time. Or maybe the sacrifice is to your reputation Again, maybe certain people, uh, maybe friends or family think it's a little bit weird that you want to kind of find out about this Jesus bloke and they can't understand why you're devoting your time to it. And maybe the sacrifice is to your reputation that you keep going along to mission group and to church even though people's opinions maybe uh, and viewpoints uh, don't always support that. Or maybe the sacrifice comes because of what it means to your career or to your study. That that time you spend kind of coming along to church or reading your Bible, well, that that little bit extra you could have been putting into your work or study. And I'm not saying it's not a good thing to study or work, far from it. But what verse 4 does go and show us is that actually it's so important to meet with Jesus. What we learn from the paralytic and his friends is that we should be desperate to meet with Jesus and go to extreme lengths. To To the first application, be desperate to meet with Jesus. Now that leads on to the question, doesn't it, is Jesus worth going to extreme measures to actually meet with? And hopefully as we continue to look at this passage together, then actually we'll find out that that's the case. Well the second shot comes just one verse later in verse 5. And it's when Jesus replies to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, in Mark Gospel, we've already kind of seen that uh, Jesus is that Jesus has done a whole host of miracles. He's already healed a load of different people. He's driven out demons, and I guess the crowd would have been aware of that too. I guess they'd have known what Jesus had done before, and they'd expect for Jesus to do his stuff and to heal the guy. And that kind of fits in with the image that we have of Jesus, isn't it? The image of someone who is kind and just helps and heals people. But instead Jesus doesn't. He tells the paralytic, your son, your sins are forgiven. Now that's pretty shocking. That doesn't match with our image, does it, of a kind guy who just loves to heal at any opportunity. We might start to think, hang on a second guy. Here, Jesus, this guy, he's he's paralyzed. He, he can't walk. He needs healing. You're missing the point. But you know what? Jesus is trying to say here that we are missing the point. That the biggest problem that the paralytic has is that of his sin. By forgiving his sin before he healed the man. What Jesus is saying is that actually the bigger problem is that of his sin. And that's shocking because I guess for even more so back then than now, being paralysed utterly shaped your life. It affects what you can do. Your whole day revolves around that fact that you're paralysed. And that's not factoring in the medical and social care that we have now. So for Jesus to say, actually, you've got an even bigger problem than that of being paralysed, that is a huge statement. That is a shocking statement. And Jesus isn't just saying that for the paralysed man. He's saying it for us too. That the biggest problem each and every one of us face right now, is that of our sin. It doesn't matter what else we're facing, maybe it's work or exam stress, maybe it's health or family difficulties. But no matter how painful and real those things are, Jesus is saying that the biggest problem we have is that of our sin. Now that is a shocking statement. Well, what is this sin that Jesus says is our biggest problem? Well, it's not kind of uh, doing really bad things or breaking the law. It's not a case of it being indulging ourselves or kind of some range of magnum ice creams. No, rather, sin is our rejection of God. Our heart rejection of God. You see, the Bible tells us that each and every one of us were created for a relationship with God, created by God for that relationship with him. And that that relationship, that friendship with God, would to be at the centre, the most important thing in our lives. But rather than make that relationship the centre, the most important thing in our lives, each and every one of us reject God. We reject God in our actions, we reject God in our hearts. We put other things before that relationship, that friendship with him. Maybe it's ourselves, maybe it's others, maybe it's relationship, perhaps it's work or pleasure, money, but whatever it is, Each and every one of us does that. We, we put other things before our relationship with God. In other words, we reject Him. Now the Bible tells us that that's a huge problem because God is the perfect gentleman. He's not gonna force us to have a relationship with Him. And if we reject God now, well, the Bible tells us that God will honour that choice for eternity. And since God is the creator of everything good, then that means that, that means we're rejecting God not just now, but forever. So that means that we'll be spending forever apart from God and apart from anything good. And the Bible calls that hell. So our sin, our rejection of God is a huge problem. And although it initially seemed shocking when Jesus said that sin's the bigger problem, well actually we can see that it is. It leaves us facing eternity without God. You know, I work for a Christian charity called Cross Project in Wakefield, and we go into secondary schools in the Wakefield area and aim to be a Christian resource to them. And we get to do that in the schools in a load of different great ways, but one of the ways I like best is through mentoring individuals. So I get to meet with boys on a one-to-one and group basis and basically help them kind of unpack life and make better choices. And what's really interesting to find is that actually, the reason that they're sent to me, which is normally something like that they've been in a fight or they've had an argument with a teacher or set fire to something, that actually all of those things aren't the real issue. In all of those cases, actually, there's a deeper underlying problem. Sometimes the underlying problem is kind of really obvious and you can see the link quite clearly. Other times, it's harder to see. But it's very often there. And it's my privilege to be able to meet with these guys and help them to uncover these issues, as well as to start journeying with them as we start to work out how they can best solve that problem. And as I think on that, I get it's a little bit like the picture, a little bit of a picture of what Jesus is saying here. That there's a deeper issue. What we see on the surface of the paralytic's life, it, it, it kind of In the same kind of vein. That there's something deeper. There's a deeper problem even than that. That of his sin. And it's the same with our life. Underneath the surface. There's a deeper problem. That of our sin. But it's not all doom and gloom. You see Jesus. He not only knows the problem. But he also knows the solution. Himself. Uh, Look again with me uh, at verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith. He said to the paralyzed man. Son, your sins are forgiven. What's the cure? What's the solution to the problem of sin? Well, it's Jesus. Now, faith means to trust. So, we're to have faith. We're to trust in Jesus. And I guess, as I like to tell the teenagers I work with, actually, trust is an action. So, what we're to do is that we're to trust in Jesus. We're to ask him into our lives. We're to place him as number one in our lives. And trust him. And trust that he will deal with our sin. And as we do that, Jesus will forgive our sin. You know, this is why it's so important for you and me to kind of allow ourselves to be shocked by the Bible. Because what started out as a bit of a shock that we got a pronouncement rather than a healing turns out to be perhaps one of the most critical pronouncements that we will ever hear. Because in it we see what our deepest problem is. But also in it we see what the solution is. Jesus Jesus highlights not only our, our greatest problem, but that our greatest need is for Jesus. And that leads us on to our second application Are you willing to accept Jesus' diagnosis and cure? Are you willing to accept that your greatest need is for Jesus? Are you willing to uh, accept that Jesus is right when he says that actually our greatest problem is that of our sin, our rejecting God? And are you willing to accept the solution that Jesus offers himself? The challenge here is to believe what Jesus says and to put our trust in Jesus. And if you're not a Christian here today, can I urge you to do so? That's the challenge of these verses, to put your trust in Jesus. To ask him into your life, allow him to be number one in your life, allow him to call the shots, and let him forgive you of your sins. Maybe tonight's the night that someone here today put their trust in Jesus. Or maybe you've already done that. Perhaps you've put your trust in Jesus. You're living your life for him. What's the uh, application for you? Well, again, it's the same. It's to see that everyone's greatest need is for Jesus. It's to see that everyone, no matter who they are, their greatest need is for Jesus. Now, I guess that's easier to say than it is to actually do an act. Because very often it can seem like people have got it so sorted, can't it? You know the kind of people I'm talking about? The person at the university who kind of uh, the captain of the sport team. They've got a glamorous partner. Their social life is absolutely packed. You know, they do more in one week than you do in a month. And despite all of that, they're still breathing their way to a first. Or that person in work. You know, the one who's just rocketing up the career ladder, that their partner, too, is in another really good job where they're flying high as well. They've got a lovely house. They go on holiday jet-setting about the world. And they've got two kids, both of whom are kind of considered gifted and talented, even though the oldest is only two. You get the kind of people. You get the kind of people I mean, yeah? And when you're faced with that, when you're faced with that, you're like, man, these guys, they've got it all. But actually, their greatest need is Jesus. Mm. Or perhaps it's the reverse, that someone's life just seems so broken, so full of pain and mess and hurt, that you're like, I don't even know where to start. How did he even start to untangle or unpack any of this? And it can seem overwhelming, can't it? But again, the challenge is to see that their greatest need is for Jesus. And when we recognise that people's greatest need is for Jesus, well, that changes things. Because when we know that, when we believe that, when we trust in that, well, that changes things. We're, We're going to start making sure that we tell people about Jesus. We're going to be looking for ways to demonstrate Jesus to them through our actions. You see, when we believe that the greatest need people have is for Jesus then we're going to be looking for opportunities. We're going to be praying for opportunities. And we're going to be boldly taking those opportunities because we are convinced that that is what people need, that they need Jesus. So the second application, to recognise for ourselves and for others that our greatest need is for Jesus. Now there are two more shocks, both of which lead to a third application. The first of those two uh, additional shocks is also in verse 5, and it's here uh, where Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, the shock here is that back at the time they perhaps knew it a bit better than us, but the shock here is that only God can forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. That makes sense, doesn't it? If sin is against God, then Only God can forgive sin. You see, if I do something nasty to you, I'm not going to, don't worry. But if I did, and the person sitting next to you said, oh, it's okay, Nick, I forgive you. You'd be like, whoa, hang on a second. That's not how it works. Okay. And we get that idea. So if sin is rejecting God, only God can forgive us. So Jesus, in saying that he can forgive sins, is claiming to be God. With me on that? Yeah, great. And you know what? That is not normal. You see, when someone claims to be God, you and I don't just go, oh yeah, that's interesting. No, we don't. We think either that they're mad, or maybe they're a con man. Or perhaps they're looking for a reaction, but the one thing we don't think is, oh, that's very nice, that's interesting. So Jesus saying, your, son, your sins are forgiven, claiming to be God, that is a huge shock. And if we were to read on into verses 6 and 7, we recognise that that's what the people there are thinking. Hang on a second, Jesus. How can you say this? He's blaspheming that he's speaking against God. He's dishonouring God by saying that he is God. And then we get the second shock in verse 11. You see, Jesus knows what they're thinking and he says, I know what you're thinking. How can I say these things? Well, I'm going to not only say that I'm God, I'm going to prove to you I'm God. I'm going to prove to you that I'm God by healing this paralysed man. Verses 8 to 10. And that's what happened. Verse 11, we see that Jesus goes to the paralytic and he says to him, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And that's what happened. The paralytic gets up, he picks up his mat and he walks out the room. Now that is a grade A shocking miracle. You see, we don't heal paralysis in that way. In fact, paralysis is very difficult to heal and it's not always a certainty by any stretch of the imagination. Even with modern technology and medical advances. And it's certainly not healable by just someone saying something. In fact, no disease is healable like that. You know, I, I, you know, whenever we go to doctors, I've never once heard a doctor just say be healed, even with a lesser illness, and anyone actually be healed. It doesn't work like that. So for Jesus to say, get up and walk, and for the man to be healed, that is an incredible miracle. So verses 5 and 11 give us two shocks where Jesus not only says that he's God, but he proves that he's God as well. In what he says and what he does, Jesus makes it explicitly clear that he is God, and that leads us onto our third application tonight, and that is that we can confidently trust Jesus because of who he is. Whether you're a Christian here today or not, the application is the same: that we can confidently trust in Jesus because of who he is. You see, being God gives Jesus ultimate credibility. I guess it's a little bit like a time when I crashed my car. Uh, long story short, I was on the motorway, this van kind of swerved, and so I swerved to avoid it. And it didn't quite work. You see, I then ended up facing three lanes of traffic, kind of having done a 180, watching the traffic come towards me. And after a moment of thinking, well, at least I know where I'm going, I managed to avoid all three lanes of traffic, shoot off onto the grassy verge, and then continue to do so until I hit a tree side on. Now, not only was I unscathed, but surprisingly, I was able to drive off and managed to complete my journey. I know, it's quite surprising, really. And um, <laughs> that night, I got home and I started to chat with my housemates about it. And uh, one of the housemates, the uh, nicer one, who was like, well, Nick, um, the car's drivable. Uh, it's not making any weird sounds or noises. You can open your door. Um, you know, you're okay as well. You've dodged the bullet. Everything's fine. The other one was a bit harsh. He was like, well, the car looks really, really stupid with that massive dent right down the middle. But, hey, you weren't the coolest guy anyway. So, you know, you'll be absolutely fine. No damage done there. Now, I'm quite a cautious kind of guy. So the next day I took it to the mechanic who was literally just around the road who I knew, trusted. I was like, oh, what do you think? And he said, do not drive it. Whatever, like, like seriously, this car is totaled. You've completely bent the chassis. You do not drive it whatsoever. Get it fixed immediately. Guess whose opinion I went with? It's the mechanic, isn't it? It's obvious. Why do I go with the mechanic? Well, because he's qualified. Because he's a mechanic. He knows what, what with cars. Because of who he is, he's qualified to tell me what I should do with the car. And you know what? It's a little bit like that with Jesus. It's because of who he is that qualifies us to trust him. Because He got in human form, we can confidently believe that actually getting to know Jesus, being desperate to come to Jesus, is utterly worthwhile. Because Jesus is God, we can confidently believe him when he says our greatest problem is our sin, and that the solution is himself, Jesus. As God, he had the authority to say that. Because Jesus is God, that means that we can have utter confidence in who he is, to trust what he says, and to seek him. And that's where I want to end tonight. That's where I kind of want us to land. On focusing on who Jesus is. Because it's as we focus on who Jesus is, as we recognise who he is, we realise that, boy, this, this man is worth spending time with. It's as we focus on who Jesus is and what he's done for us, that we actually accept what he says, that our biggest problem is our sin, and that the solution is to trust him. So I'm going to invite the band back up, and in a moment I'm going to pray. And what I'd like us all to do is to stand, because what I don't want any of us to do tonight is to go away not having met with Jesus. You see, these guys, bringing their paralysed friend, they had to go to extreme measures, but we don't have to do that. We can confidently come to him tonight. The teachers of the Lord, those in the room, they were like, Jesus, what on earth is going on? We've got the perspective of seeing all that Jesus has done. And so my prayer is that today that we would be shocked by who Jesus is. And that we would fix our eyes upon who he truly is. So can I ask you to stand please as uh, we pray together and spend some time focusing really on who Jesus is. And allowing that to shape our lives. Oh Lord Jesus, you are amazing and I just pray for forgiveness for all those times that I, when we just kind of become blase about your word, blase about who you are, that we we just don't trust, that we don't see in all its fullness who you are and what you've done for us. And I pray tonight that we would really be shocked by who you are, by what you do. But more than that, I pray that we would trust I pray that we would have confidence that you show us and you tell us that you are God. And we want to trust in that. We want to fix our eyes in that. We want to place and centre our lives on that and our relationship with you. So help us to focus on you now. Help us to throw off anything that kind of hinders us from that, that distracts us from that. Help us not to be overly familiar, but instead to utterly just fall afresh at how amazing and who you are, how awesome you are, Lord Jesus. Change us as we meet with you, we pray. Amen.
0: Welcome to Mosaic Podcast. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit
1: mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening.